Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. This time we have a nice interview, because last time when I was doing this, I was presenting kind of the Russian side of side of this war, telling you about the blog posts of this Russian soldier who wrote about his experiences in the war. And interestingly enough, after that episode, um, apparently it turned out that one of my listeners had been arrested in Russia, and now the fact that he's listening to my show is using as an evidence of him being a terrorist and extremist. So I thought, well, I have to go all in. And I wanted to bring someone that I found really interesting on the show. And that would be Dana Isarova. She's half Latvian, half Ukrainian, and she's a pediatrician. She's important because she's turned into a, some sort of a celebrity over here in Latvia. She's one of the few people over here who's been very active about this war, about this whole situation that's going on there in, in Ukraine. And she's turned into a, an influencer, so to speak. Now, I don't think she really views herself this way, but she's been doing an immensely important work to inform the Latvian society about all the situation, and I believe her voice and what she says about her Ukrainian side of the family and her Ukrainian roots and what she thinks about this war is of extreme importance and uh, that you'll find this interesting. So, hi, Dana, and uh, I hope you don't mind that you know we're, we're speaking English here. Yeah, hi. It was a very, very nice introduction. Thank you. Oh, well, this is... This is what we do here, but don't worry about it. No one of my listeners is, so far, no one of them has bitten me, so that's fine. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I did an introduction, but could you, could you maybe introduce yourself a bit as well? I mean, what, what are your ties to Ukraine? Um, so I'm half Ukrainian, half Latvian, as you already said. My mom is Latvian, dad is from Ukraine. Right now, when all the war started, um, I, I feel, I don't know how to say, but it's a pity that I actually never had a opportunity to live in Ukraine and to kind of, you know, feel the Ukraine from inside of it. Me and my parents, we would always go to Ukraine once a year in summer, like in the end of the July or August. I've had a bit of a grasp of Ukraine. And if I would turn it into numbers, I'd say that maybe one year from my whole life, from my 30 years of life, I've kind of spent in Ukraine. But I've always watched Ukraine a bit from afar. And then when I was there, I just always would 
fell in love with Ukraine and with Ukrainian people. So right now with the war happening uh, on a background, there are many things that I kind of regret. I'm going to be very honest. There are many things that maybe I would do a bit different, but at the same time, I'm happy that the bad things that are happening right now are making me rethink about what I thought before, who I was before, and maybe who I want to be in my further life. Talking about parts of Ukraine, well, I've been to Kiev myself. I actually, well, you probably don't know this because I know that you haven't been a listener of my show for a while, but in 2018, I went to Mariupol. Mm-hmm. So the events there are very painful to me as well. And I managed to bribe myself in Donbass as well at some point. Mm-hmm. Those were fun times. But right now I've been to Odessa and then I went to Kiev. And that really stunned me because when you speak about Ukraine, it is kind of different, isn't it? I mean, Ukraine, at least as how I see it, it used to be kind of divided between the eastern part and the western part. Yeah. And then there are the cities in the south. But the war has, has changed, I think. And I wanted to ask you, how how has this war really impacted Ukrainian identity? We can hear in the news all the time that, that Ukrainians have found themselves as a people. <sighs> and maybe it's true, but I'm not Ukrainian, so I can't explain this to people. What's this Ukrainian identity that we speak about here? I feel like, well, this identity, they found it. I feel like they found it more like these eight years ago that everyone is talking about when the conflict or war in Donbas started, right? Before that, I feel like Ukrainians were a bit similar to us, to Latvians, where we would be very tolerant towards Russians, if I could say so, where we kind of are letting them be here in Latvia. I mean, like we're not really interacting with them anyhow. And we're kind of like accepting the fact that they're here and they have their own culture and they have their own celebrations as for example, 9th of May, even though we don't like it because of various reasons. And I feel like eight years before it was the same with Ukrainians. And then when this whole situation started in Donbass, I feel like that's where they got kind of hungry about being um, more themselves in their own country. And I feel like the same thing right now is happening in Latvia, where we're kind of switching from this um, idea that we're not guests here, but we're like very welcoming hosts. And right now we want to take control of everything. So I feel like eight years ago, how I was feeling it, that Ukrainians kind of started to feel proud of who they are because they also were people who were occupied by Russians. And there's like a lot of things that they have um, inherited from Russia and from Soviet Union. But eight years ago, they kind of started to understand that their language is absolutely beautiful. Their culture is great. And there's a people are very, very different from Russians. So they started to separate from that. And they really wanted to tell the world that we are not the same as Russians. And I feel like, I don't know if you think the same way, but I feel like right now the same switch is starting to happen here in Latvia as well. It shows some tendencies, although I would have solved some issues differently, but you know, I'm a bit more conservative in some areas. For sure, for sure. But still. One thing though is that yeah, this is kind of also hard to explain to, to foreigners because I'm fully fluent in Russian. Yeah. But in Ukrainian, that allows me to basically understand the gist of things mostly. Yeah. There's a YouTuber called uh, Viktor Litovchenko. He explained to me that, you know, Ukrainian is way more Slavic than Russian in a way. Yeah. Because when you think about Slavic languages, you think about Polish, Czech, Belarusian, Ukrainian, 
And there's a lot of words in common in those languages. And then Russian just tends to be very different. Can you maybe elaborate on that and, and talk about this? Because it's kind of difficult for a non-native speaker to explain to people. Yeah, well, um, that's one thing that I'm kind of regretting right now that I don't know Ukrainian fluently myself. I understand what they're talking and I understand the context since whenever we went to Ukraine, there are a bunch of my relatives who would always talk in Ukrainian. So I kind of had to learn how to understand them, but I don't speak Ukrainian myself. But if we talk about the language, um, I completely agree with you that it's more Slavic rather than Russian. It is because of like historical events. I'm I'm not gonna go like very deep into details, like what happened with like Ukraine and history. But oh, we have done that on the show, so it's fine. Oh, great. Okay, that's good. And uh, the western part of the Ukraine throughout the history would always have like more influence from like those all other Slavic countries, especially Poland, Lithuania. So their language is kind of like a mix from Ukrainian language together with Polish language, and there are like many for- words from Poland language that they do have, but the Eastern side of the country is more so, let's say, Russian speaking. So Ukrainian, honestly, like it's very different if you look at the Western part and and you look at the Eastern part, it is very, very different on the both sides. And another thing that I want to point out is that Ukraine is actually a very, very big country the area wise, we could like fit three sets of Baltic states in there and there would still like be some room left. So it's a huge country. But I have to put in there. I'm very sorry. It's bigger than Texas. Let's just... Oh, okay. <laughs> it's bigger than Texas. I, I, I know. Thanks. Thanks for this. <laughs> I'm very sorry, but we, we have to use American friendly comparisons here. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's all right, because I just don't know how big Texas is. And But if you say so, I'm going to like completely trust you with this. Oh, it's kind of like France. Could be, actually. So, yeah, it's a big country. Yeah, and uh, we were talking about language, right? Yeah. So, yeah, Ukrainian is going to sound more like more of like a Polish, Slovak, that part. But Russian, to me, if I could say it sounds more dry, could it be so? Does it, does it seem to you the same way? Because Ukrainian sounds more poetic, more like, I don't know, like more, more like a song or something like this. But Russian sounds really dry to me. Well, Ukrainian sounds poetic as long as you don't meet an, an angry Ukrainian lady. <laughs> it has happened to me. I mean, uh, for, for unknown reasons. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, elderly Ukrainian ladies, when they're angry, I mean, no wonder Russians are, are losing this war because angry Ukrainian ladies, oh man. <laughs> you don't want to argue with them. It's 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 kind of like when you when you hit the age of about fifty five to sixty, and you're Ukrainian, then your job becomes to basically stick to the rules and be very loud about whatever you whatever someone else has done wrong. Or <laughs> I don't think it's the language. I just think it's their inner fire that they have. You know, whenever you piss off Ukrainian woman, just be ready that it's gonna be hell. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> this is one of the more kind of emotional parts of of this whole war as well, because in one of my earlier episodes, there was this poem about you know, the fact that uh, Russians have awakened an angry god in Ukrainians. Yeah. And and uh, I, I made an episode about Holdomor recently, mm-hmm. and one of the biggest issues facing the world right now, and this whole thing ties together, is, is the fact that we're going to face food shortages. Yeah. And that's one of the things that people don't understand is that this war will cause major ripples and damage throughout the planet because Ukraine is extra super mega fertile. Yes. 
the black soil is famous for for its fertility and now not only the current harvest is blocked in ports by russian warships the people who are supposed to you know be farmers and producing all this grain and everything they've been sent off to war yeah i wanted to ask you about this whole situation that your family is from ukraine and how has this impacted you personally has your family suffered from this you must have a personal impact of this whole situation of course it has impacted my me and my family and my relatives in ukraine but fortunately everyone's alive and i i'm not afraid to say that right now they're safe uh half of my family is here my dad's relatives my dad's mom my dad's sister my cousin with her children right now but part of my family half of my family are still in ukraine so at the same time saying that they're safe is you know kind of flirting <laughs> with with the whole situation because i feel like nowhere in ukraine uh is safe right now but they're alive uh if we talk about like infrastructural things that it seems like all of the houses are fine you if they're going to go back anytime soon but i don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon they they will have a place to live but uh it's a huge emotional damage i feel like relatives like my godfather my godfather's wife and daughter and her family uh, did suffer the most because um when it was the beginning of the war there were like a few days when we couldn't get in contact with chernihiv where they live and they said that they were hiding in a bomb shelter for approximately 5 days and during those 5 days they said that they were like um saying goodbyes to each other like a couple of times or even more than a couple of times and right now i know that that part of my family my godfather's family i feel like they have this ptsd where they have nightmares where they wake up during the night but of course compared to to other people in ukraine who have lost their loved ones who have lost their houses who have very severe injuries it's nothing but still like that's my family and it like you know it it hurts that people that you love so much are hurting and that they're not feeling safe in this world anymore and maybe sometimes they even feel that they're not worthy living here on this planet um it is just really painful This is the important part here their listeners because for a lot of you especially those who are on the other side of the planet this war might be impersonal and something that you read about on the news or listen to on the show because you know we make all these episodes but it's quite a different story when um, when the war is so far away and when when you read about it on the news and when you have to kind of live with it on a day by day basis however other thing is that as, as far as i understood personally was uh, humans really tend to get used to everything yeah i mean for the first time in my life when i heard those air raid sirens myself i was scared you know when, once the fifth time came it was like oh well another another siren yeah it 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 really scares me sometimes how quickly we can get used to things and, and today today on twitter you asked the question to latvians about whether or not we're used to this war well I'd like to ask you this this one back because this is an interesting subject to discuss about. Are we used to this war now? And what's the difference is here between getting used to war over here in Eastern Europe and and over there in the West? This question has been on my mind for already approximately 3 weeks to be honest, and I feel like first time I asked myself this question was on 9th of May. Uh, fun stuff happened here in Riga due to this uh, celebration <laughs> right next to the occupational monument and i back then i asked myself this question 
thinking whether right now, due to our, you know, internal problems, the war is not going to become something, you know, like from the second or from the third page of news, right? And today, I just, I couldn't figure out how I feel about this war. And I couldn't figure out whether my feelings, subjective feelings about Latvian society attitude towards it has changed or what is it? But I feel like we've got used to it. And um, I feel like people here in Latvia are trying to fight with this feeling or with this change of attitude because everything what happens in Ukraine, we take it really personally. Since we're here on the eastern border, right, we are very close to Russia. We understand that there are risks because we have this neighbor, right? But in another parts of the world, I feel like they already kind of got used to it way faster than we did. But at the same time, I feel that it is not a choice that we are getting used to this war. I feel that this is just the physiology because you cannot keep yourself alert about stressful situation for such a long period of time. And I honestly think that we as a society here in Latvia did really well with being alert and and like aware of the situation for such a long time but i feel like everyone's kind of getting tired and especially because western part of the world it feels to me like they're kind of giving up on this like they already wanted to end so they're kind of ready for any type of you know the ending of this war and what they want is kind of like peace okay let's just put the guns down ukraine you kind of uh, surrender or do whatever because we're kind of like a sick of it that's what it feels like and it and it hurt that's another thing that hurts a lot right now because i feel like the world is starting to kind of like getting sick of what is happening here in europe well you're you're definitely not wrong here but thankfully there are a bunch of good people also who are working hard right now. Sure, sure. And I know for sure that a lot of people, quite a lot of them, um, who are actually ex-military guys who are now mm-hmm. fighting in Ukraine are also listening to this show. Because uh, I know that quite a bunch of you guys who listen to this, uh, I'm happy enough to have uh, a huge military audience for <laughs> unknown reasons. I don't know why they are interested in, in the history of the Soviet Union, but... I have a bunch of Americans who just joined the volunteer department of all the situation, and a lot of them are complaining about also the corruption in Ukraine as well, and the fact that it seems that quite a lot of people in Ukraine also haven't understood the importance of this whole situation. And I see on my Twitter feed daily complaints about the fact that, hey, we are better prepared and better trained than the guy who wants to train us, although we would be better off in the front line. Yeah. And there are a lot of problems inside Ukraine as well with the corruption and everything. So, and one of the biggest issues is the fact that, for example, when I post messages about some corruption issue, when you know it has been uncovered that some humanitarian aid has been stolen and then it's being sold out, yeah. then people tell me that I shouldn't post about this because that makes Ukraine look bad. <laughs> but if I don't post about it instead, that I feel kind of lying because. I think everyone understands how important it is to deal with these issues. If you would give an honest kind of value judgment about Ukraine's position to enter the EU and their own corruption situation, and this is just ignoring Russia right now. Let's let's put Russia just just aside there. How would you rate them? How how what would be Ukraine's corruption issues without this Russian war? I, I I'm pretty sure they'll try to fix it, but we have to give some honest accounting about Ukraine's problems as well. 
can't, I'm not very strong in economy and like, I, I don't have the instant information, but what I've known from like my father and my relatives, the corruption is just on every corner <laughs> in Ukraine, <laughs> literally like anywhere you go, the corruption is there. Right. And as far as I remember, I Googled it recently and it was like something that Ukraine is the third, I think most corrupted country in the world. So right now in this war situation about what you said that you're tweeting about this uh, issues and problems and people are telling that you shouldn't be doing this. I think you should do that. It's not about making Ukrainians look bad. It's about, I'd say more targeted kind of like also help towards like Ukraine and Ukrainians, because I have friends who are on a front light right now. It's the third month uh, of the war and they still haven't got their clothes, their shoes, their guns, their cars and everything that they need just to, you know, like fight on a front line. And um, as you said, humanitarian help is being uh, like stolen, then it's sold somewhere in the shops. Then, for example, they buy something for themselves, for their own money, like clothes and shoes, and then it just like disappears somewhere together with money. So what I can say regarding uh, corruption in Ukraine, if we talk generally, it is basically everywhere. But right now, during the war, you need to understand that um, like bad people don't have nationality. There's going to be people who are going to try to make the best out of the situation, especially if they're very greedy and money oriented. Right. And unfortunately, right now with this like chaos and logistics and with this whole situation there are many people who are trying to get rich and who <laughs> wants to live better than the others which we need to understand and i think those issues we need to address and especially we need to address these issues because we want ukraine to be in europe right as a, in a union and this is the issue that they will need to deal with but the corruption is just huge. Like healthcare, I wouldn't say it's corrupted, but it still like has this post-Soviet style where you need to give a bit of a money to a doctor or to a nurse or to someone else. The same goes with basically all of the services. If you want a bit better attitude towards yourself, you need to either give something, either it's money, either it's a present. So this is the thing that unfortunately is still very present in Ukraine, but I know but I know that they themselves, they want to get rid of it as fast as they can. Yeah, one thing that I noticed uh, was how everything, you know, everything gets turned into more expensive versions of itself because in Kiev right now, the only hotel that you can stay in as a member of the press is uh, Kazatskaya in the Maidan Square. And they charge ridiculous amounts of money. Which is, yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine. Oh my God. And the numbers are really, really bizarre. Like, uh, they're they're not. It's not a really good hotel. It's just a weird hotel. <laughs> and and when we when we went there with with my photographer, we um, we managed to get a hotel via Booking.com. And then we arrived there, and it turns out that as we arrive in a hotel which is like next to Pichersky Lavra, yeah, random security officer comes out and says, "Hello, what did you want from us?" Because it's closed. They just take donations through that. And then under air raid sirens, we were forced to move into Kazatskaya, and we paid like. 500 euros for four nights over there. Oh my God. It's a weird thing, but um, it will be solved because I think that the Western countries, including ourselves, because for Ukrainians currently, if you're from the Baltics, and I think that will be a surprise for a lot of uh, Americans here and, and Western Europeans, if you're from the Baltics and you go to Ukraine and you tell them you're from the Baltics, 
you get a bizarre attitude because it was weird for me to be in a country where you are treated like the rich European person. <laughs> rich European. Hello there, and thanks for listening to another episode of The Eastern Border. Dear Patreons, thank you more than ever for supporting our show. Your donations are crucial to keep us going, and right now all of your money is going to securing good information for you and to fund Kristov's actual real-life mission to Ukraine to report to you live about the war that is going on there. Also, we would like to use this opportunity to urge you to donate to other organizations that are helping people escape Ukraine safely and to defend the country for those who decide to stay on the ground. One such organization we would like to highlight is the Defending Ukraine Together Come Back Alive movement. Launched in 2014, the Come Back Alive became the biggest organization providing support to the armed forces of Ukraine. You can donate directly from their webpage, comebackalive.in.ua. Remember that no donation is too small. In this situation, every dollar matters. Every cent matters. If you're uncomfortable with giving money to war, they do have a position on their website that they are providing Ukrainian army with laptops, lights, photo equipment, cables, and is not purely military. Perhaps that might change your mind, but remember you can also donate to strictly humanitarian organizations such as the Red Cross and others that are helping people escape Ukraine safely. Please also keep following us on social media for all of your latest updates on Eastern Border on places like Twitter and Facebook. Keep listening, keep yourself informed. That's all from me now. See you online. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ukraine is going to rebuild after this war. It's going to get massive amounts of wealth in it. Everyone's already preparing for it because, hey, if you're a smart businessman and you, you run a construction business and you run any business, you know where the big market is going to go. However, I think that Ukraine is going to have to you know, get their corruption things a bit in order to basically be able to rebuild after this whole situation. Yeah, because otherwise it's going to be pretty much the same or even worse. <laughs> the people who want to live good over there, there are many of them. And I just hope that this war is is going to be kind of like a filter to kind of get rid of those people. But who knows? I'm just waiting for war to end and I can't wait for Ukraine to be rebuilt, you know. I live on a day-by-day basis right now. To be honest, I can't can't make long, long-term plans. And my listeners know already that if I hadn't broken my arm, I would be back there already doing some reporting. I think I think we all should just do what we can. The bigger issue, the bigger outlying issue here is that right now Russia is just spewing out so much disinformation that if you're a journalist and if you want to provide some real information, yeah. you basically spend 90% of your time countering this, this info. 
And for example, one of the questions that people asked me was about the Azov Battalion. That is the number one thing. That are they Nazis? How many Nazis are there? All the all these things. So please, they don't listen to me. Can you please give us a rundown on what the Azov Battalion is and what they do? Do they beat up Russians in Ukraine? Again, you know, if I'm going to say completely 100% no, then I would be lying because I bet that there has been, you know, situations. They do now. Of course they do now and they have a reason to do so. But was it before and was it because they were just like they would beat the Russians because they're Russians? I don't really think so. Like I would go to Ukraine every summer and I would be the one who is speaking Russian, okay? Because I don't know Ukrainian and I have never experienced, <laughs> I've never experienced that anyone would look at me in a weird way or they would be like, oh, you shouldn't be here or stuff like that. And I would never go somewhere in there saying straight away, please don't like, I don't know, hit me because like I'm speaking Russian. I'm from Baltic countries. I would never do that because I would <laughs> never face problems that I'm speaking in Russian and but 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 of course like as I said before like bad people doesn't have any nationality and of course Ukrainians some of Ukrainians might be ultra nationalists in some points of view where they don't like Russians because of the reasons especially due to the events that happened in past eight years like if I was in their place, I would be pissed at Russians as well because they literally invaded my country and then made me look stupid. They would gaslight me. They would tell that I'm a Nazi. They would tell that I'm killing people and, and hitting Russians. Of course, I would be mad about this whole situation. So were there any conflicts? Were there any Russians beaten? Maybe. I don't know. But in the past eight years, there has been reasons why it would be so. But are they Nazis? And are they thinking that they're some sort of a higher people than anyone else? And like they want only Ukrainians to rule the world. That's like absolute nonsense, like absolute nonsense. And unfortunately, the further you are from this border with Russia, the harder it is for you to understand the power of propaganda that they're doing and of the psychological tricks that they're using to make you think that Russians are the victims here. Because what's another very funny thing about Russians that I fight right now is that they're always the good guys, right? They're always here to help, to, I don't know, to save everyone from the bad things. But at the same time, they're going to gaslight you and then they're going to, you know, turn around and play the victim role. At the same time, and this is something that we, me and you and Ukrainians have been dealing for quite a long time. And we just don't believe this bullshit that we are hearing. But I feel like the further you are from this border, the more it seems like, no, if they're saying that they're being, you know, like discriminated and hit and that they're being abused somewhere in Ukraine, it's probably truth, which is not. So, no. Yeah, I hope I answered your question because it's. It's difficult to say that there hasn't been any conflicts between Ukrainians and Russians, especially in the past eight years. Come on. Let me remind you the tagline of my show. It's happiness is mandatory. <laughs> you do not seem to be. <laughs> now, uh, this, this is the thing, because it's quite hard to explain this whole situation to Western audiences sometimes. Yeah. Because you can convey what has happened before in the past and you can convey your own feelings about it in a way, but it's quite hard to translate your own like family experiences and all this stuff i think suffering uh, translates very poorly that's what i'm trying to say 
yeah, but you know, if I would have to compare it to somehow right now, like for example, Russia's and Ukraine's relationship or Latvia's and Russia's, it reminds me of an abusive relationship where Russia is the abuser, the sociopath that is just gaslighting the other person when they're saying that I am here, you're nothing without me. You, you will never be anything without me. You're just, I'm helping you. I am trying to denazify you. I'm trying to like make your life better, but you're just, you just don't appreciate anything that I'm doing. You forgot the failed state part. We are all failed states. Obviously we're super poor and all this stuff. Yeah, true. Exactly. Of course, and the Russia is here to help us and they've been like giving us money and we have a history because of them and we have a country because of them. And it really reminds me, if anyone, if any of the listeners have ever been in an abusive relationship, this is exactly what it is. It's always the gaslighting. They're not doing anything bad. It's you. You're provoking me. Russia is always saying this. It's not us. We came here because you provoked me. I am the good guy here. All countries on Eastern border, I feel like the same way that you're kind of like, you want to get rid of this relationship, but this is like your toxic ex that is trying to slide into your DMs saying, Hey, I kind of miss you. You know, our relationship wasn't that bad. And then where you're kind of like, okay, maybe they have changed. Boom. They never changed. They never change. And this is what is happening right now. <laughs> the, the history is repeating itself, you know? I would like to add that uh, one of my favorite, actually, Russian opposition journalists, who is now in exile, of course, all good Russian journalists are now in exile. Yep. Alexander Nevzorov, I really enjoyed this guy. But he said that, well, Russia at the same time, while they're doing this gaslighting, they're also stating that we can crush you super easily. We can do, you know, all, all these things. I'm going to destroy your life completely, like... Constantly. And he told in one of his recent interviews that the only fault of Russia's neighboring countries is that we sometimes believe when they tell us they're going to destroy us. If we again, like, try to compare it to toxic relationship in between a people, this is the same. If you're being threatened all the time for tens and, and, you know, 20 and 30 years, of course, you as a country, you as a people, you're going to be scared of them because you've seen what they did in the past. They were very abusive, both emotionally and also physically. So of course you're afraid. And that's where we, where we should, you know, kind of get our shit together and kind of say that, I, I mean, I'm not afraid anymore. Like, that's you. You don't have any control over me. Thankfully, if we compare Russia to our, you know, exes, then uh, Russia would be an ex that's also an alcoholic that threatens you all the time. But when they actually want to punch you, they kind of puke on themselves and fall over. True. <laughs> that's because of all the corruption that they're having. I've spoken to people who've been into organized crime and all this stuff, and and when Western bigger media they use kind of numbers to explain how corrupt Russia is. It gets a bit difficult because they have to use official data. And and uh, the hardest part of my whole show, by the way, even including my historical episodes, was the fact that it's not important what the Soviet Union or, or modern-day Russia said in Pravda or what their documents stated. What was more important, I think, was what they didn't say. You know, you have to read between the lines. And reading between the lines is definitely a skill, you know. Yeah. I do have to now interject some things here because uh, as Dana... And you guys might not know her, but but she's really famous in Latvia. I I might even be become popular in Latvia, folks. After this with this one, I don't even. Know. <laughs> I asked on Twitter to for my Latvian audience. Very few of you who actually listen to this show. Um, thank you. 
I'll repeat this just in case. If you have any Soviet era newspapers or magazines, please, please PM me. I, I'm collecting those. They'll be used in a future episode. I made a whole episode based on a 1959 collection of Soviet woman okay. magazines, which is great. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty, pretty neat. But there are some questions that apparently from someone who studied in the same school as you did. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then, yeah. Wow. So um, the election is coming, and one of the biggest kind of rhetorics among the campaigns of the various parties will be the Ukrainian question mm-hmm. in the context of our security. How do you filter out this rhetoric from the usual populist things that are happening? I mean, how how would you filter out just populist stuff about Ukraine from the real stuff of Ukraine? And, you know, uh, as this comes from the Latvian and this concerns only Latvian elections right now, how do you kind of not fall for scams? Because definitely there are tons of scams right now online also who are like, we're gathering stuff for Ukraine, which is why my favorite charity is comebackalive.ua. Please donate to that. How would you separate the, the scams from the real thing? And in political... Oh, that's a difficult question. No one said this was easy. That was the easy question? Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. What are the next questions then? <laughs> Welcome to the Eastern border. <laughs> oh, my God. I just like, I got all sweaty and I need to drink a bit of water because, oh, my God. No, but the question is, is really difficult, honestly, because, um, you know, for the past three months, actually, like, really haven't looked into what our politicians have been doing. I have just seen like a huge support towards Ukraine. Uh, just both financial and, and, and army stuff and all of that, right? So um, I haven't really looked into it. I'm going to be very honest. The only thing that I am that I can say that I'm kind of proud of, like our foreign minister and of our artist fabrics. Jesus Christ, what, which minister is he? He's defense, a ministry of defense or something like that. Anyways, so I'm kind of, I've been like very proud of what they're doing and what they're saying. So I've never had this like idea that they're scamming something or they're not doing anything. But I feel like, I feel like where we're going to need to pay our attention to is in upcoming months before the elections. And then we will be able to see like whether they're really doing anything how the, the things are going to go with refugees and with support uh, to Ukraine. Because right now I feel like support is real and it is happening. But before the elections, I feel like they're going to sugarcoat everything. And that's where you need to literally look at the actions and ask, I think, and ask for the proof that they have been doing actually something. Because I feel like this is the information that you as a citizen, you should be able to get and have an access to, right? Right now, it's going to be difficult, but in upcoming months, whenever they start to think about elections, that's where we're going to see their true colors. Then again, our when it comes to our elections, last time that they happened, we had you discuss on our show, and we uh, we spent about an hour yelling at all of our politicians. Then again, it's my job to hate politicians. <laughs> <laughs> like, again, if we're using relationship comparisons, the real successful relationship, in my mind, it doesn't come from the fact that, you know, it's always about how much can you, you know, tolerate in a way, because there's always going to be Monday mornings, there's always going to be arguments, and it's at the end, it's not about the looks at all. It's about whether or not can you, like, you know, not hate each other yeah. all the time, and can you deal with your arguments, because there will be arguments, definitely. I highly doubt there's a single relationship without this. Talking about this, uh, do you see any possible way how, well, well, for one, I believe that Russia is going to collapse, but that involves a lot of my previous episodes. I believe that Russia's 
America going to collapse at the end of this end of this war? But even if it does, how do you see? Because we're going to have to live together. They're not going anywhere. It's it, those the Russians are the neighbors that won't move. And after this war ends and they get a new government, and whether they collapse or not, we're going to have to live with them somehow. What would be kind of the the rules? And this is also from a Latvian listener. What would be the rules of how we would? you know, live with Russia in the future. I mean, what would be your ideal scenario in this case? What changes Russia should make? How how are we to live with them? Because this is something weird. I honestly like, okay, with this question, I'm going to be very biased and, and a bit emotional about it because I just, I haven't thought about Russia in any way since the war started. And I actually, right now, I don't see like any way how we could continue any relationships with them, honestly. And if, again, we compare the situation to our relationships in life and excess, I feel like Russia is something that we should block, (laughs) you know, on all social media and that's it. Like you have no access to me anymore. But, but I understand that it is not going to be so easy since, as you mentioned before, they're here. We have like a border with them. All the initiatives should come from them. In my ideal world, I would love to hear sorry, them being apologizing for everything what they did and they do right now still. But uh, I don't think that Latvians or, or any other country or Ukrainians should be the ones who are coming there and like trying to compromise on something. If anything, that I think they should be the people who are knocking on our doors and saying, listen, like... We've made a freaking huge mistake, right? But we understand that maybe right now you don't want to fix it, but we want this. So whenever you're kind of like ready to talk through maybe some sort of a relationship that we're having or anything, then then we're here. We want this. Because after the World War II, they always felt like they're the winners. They're the cool guys. Uh, they never lose. They're the, you know, like everything and and, and stuff like that. So... They would never want to compromise. And that's what we see here right now in Latvia is like whenever you say that um, I don't like this attitude or I don't like the 9th of May or I think that this thing shouldn't be here in Riga or whatever else, they act like a victims and they don't want even to talk about compromising. I've never heard them saying that, okay, we understand that this might be hurtful for you. So let's figure out how it's, you know, good for both sides. So I don't see myself how I would ever have normal relationship with Russians if they are not the ones who are coming up, who are apologizing and who are saying, let's compromise on this. Let's try to figure out. So what you're saying is, if, if we're going to continue using a relationship metaphor, which is just amazing in this case, by the way. <laughs> uh, so what you're saying is that you won't forgive your alcoholic husband until he's actually moved uh, moved to do some steps in the on, on Alcoholics Anonymous program and has at least shown some progress. Exactly. Exactly. So real actions, not just like, talk, I'm going to quit drinking and he's still, you know, hangover at that moment. Or like, I love you so much. You're the best thing that's ha- ever happened to me. No, thanks. Like, I want to see like real result. And actually your example was absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Meanwhile, I'm staring at my beer over here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at my water. <laughs> Oh, Lord. You're a doctor. You're okay. But like my grandma used to be a doctor. She, uh, uh, at the end of her life, she used to be surgeon. And at the end of her life, she was 
maybe slipping up a bit more than usual, but she stated that uh, she can do this because she's a doctor and she's old and she doesn't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to be pretty much the same, to be honest. Right now I'm trying to stick to my water, but I feel like soon <laughs> I'm going to be somewhere there where your grandma was. <laughs> it's a stressful job that you're having. And I'm really, really thankful that, that you actually actually made it here in the show and that, that it isn't too stressful for you. It's been quite a long conversation here. We, we sort of have to each wrap it up. What a pity. Okay. We, we, can, we can repeat this at some point in the future. No problems. Done deal. <laughs> what would be your message to kind of the more Western audiences? And at this point, hey, guys in Langley, all you up there in important positions, nice guys who pay my salary. Do you have anything that uh, you would like to say to, you know, people in power? Because I've been blessed enough to have audiences in, in important positions over here and not only very friendly and nice Americans listen to my show, but but uh, quite a few actually people who can maybe influence some of the events happening. What would you want them to hear? What, what would you want them to know? I understand that the world is not as simple as I would like it to be. And I do understand that there are connections and relationships with Russia that some people in people, especially in power, wouldn't want to just, you know, to burn all of the bridges. And they would like to keep a, some sort of a bridge in between of them and Russia. But um, I feel like right now, many people that live in this world are questioning a lot of things. Like, uh, where is the red line? You know, where we said the red line, where we say that it's not okay anymore. Is it like 300 killed children? Is it thousand killed people? Is it uh, weapons that are not allowed to use? They're using like, where is the red line? So I feel like it is very important right now for us to actually draw the red line which whenever the Russia is going to cross, we're going to act. Because so far, it's been just like a flirting with with Russia being like, hey, it's like very bad what you're doing over there. We're watching you and we're going to do something maybe, but we never do anything. So I feel this is the point where leaders need to understand that, if I can be honest, they look really stupid whenever they're threatening with these diplomatic sentences russia who is you know fully violent and 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 absolutely i don't know insane i'm not saying that we should attack i'm not saying that we should start a world war treat which actually i think has already started but um oh, let me catch you on that one why do you think it has already started what does world war three mean to you then it's not just Ukraine and, and Russia involved in this war. We are sending, you know, weapons, like b like a bunch of countries are sending weapons over there. So it means that those countries are also not okay with what Russia is doing. We are already in this World War Three. Of course, it is the front line is only in Ukraine, but people are already taking the sides. So like to say that this is just a Ukrainian and, and a Russian war is, it's, I don't know. It's very childish to me. Like whenever I hear this, I'm like... That's an interesting way how to put it. But generally, it's already World War Three, So, like, you know, like, grow some balls. Be more decisive. I don't know. Like, if you care about your career in politics, then, yeah, you might be flirting with Russia. But if you are a decent human and if, you know, it touches you in a way where you feel disgusted by what Russia is doing. And if you feel like they're not following any diplomatic rules, then, you know, 
it's about a time you stand up and you state it and you say that we're not going to tolerate it anymore. I feel like the time when we're trying to play by some sort of democratic rules with the country that is totally not democratic and is totally not into these international relationships and laws, we shouldn't really allow them to feel like they're in control of the situation. Because unfortunately, to me, it seems like they're in control because no one kind of wants to deal with them. No one kind of wants to stand up and say, we are not going to tolerate this anymore. So yeah, if I can say just like grow some balls and be more decisive. No, that's, that's really, really good. I'm trying to kind of convey this message on the show all the time, but uh, uh, hey guys, you're listening to this now. Maybe it takes you crazy to tell you all this, all this stuff. Can we, can we go back again to relationship, this analogy? Like, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Go, go on, go on. It's fun. Like, uh, Hey, we're the neighbors, right? We hear that the, the wife or the husband is beating up the, their spouse. Right. And we're kind of like, Oh, well, like it's bad, but, um, I'm not going to interfere with it anyhow, because it's kind of none of my business, but, I'm going to like give the wife or the husband, maybe, I don't know, a knife or a spoon to hit their husband or, or wife or whoever is, is, you know, abusive. So we're not really going in there and saying that, okay, right now I'm taking away this person because you need to take both a break. Right. Or just like figuring somehow we're just watching who's going to kill who we're just watching a real time. I don't know. Show. And I know it is very comfortable to sit in your own house whenever you have the roof over your like head and when you have money, when everything's fine with you and you don't want to kind of lose it by stating your opinion. But um, I don't think that Russia is, I, I literally don't think that Russia is going to stop if they somehow manage to, I wouldn't say win the situation, but have a control over it, either through the food problems, the grain problems that are going to happen very soon, or the gas prices or any other prices or whatever else. But right now, unfortunately, Russia is in a bigger control than any other country. This thing here is one thing that I've tried to explain to my Western audiences is the fact that Putin is basically a member of the Bratva. You know, the organized crime. Mm -hmm. To explain Putin, I had to make a couple of episodes where I explained exactly how the Soviet prison system worked. And why Lavrov is talking about Petuhi and all the Bratva and all this stuff. And after that, you have to explain how Putin was in the 90s in the organized crime. Then finally, you get to speak about Putin's, Putin's own actions. Because without understanding of how his kind of criminal mentality works... Because his KGB mentality and all his Bratva mentality works the same way. Yeah, true. You can't really explain today's actions. And that's the biggest mistake the West makes, in my opinion. Where, where they treat Putin just like another world leader, right? But he's not. He, he comes from a society where, where he thinks that scamming someone is the honorable way to go. If he doesn't scam them, he loses his, his face, his value, so to speak. And that's, that's, that's the weird part here. Life in Ukraine, where we spoke about this before we started recording. You're about the same age as I am. You're a couple of years younger. You remember the 90s, right? Yeah. 90s were a fun time, TM. Gro growing up in the 90s was extra fun. Mm. I was born in 90. I was born in 90, 1989, and I just remember that in like when I was going in first, second grade. Yeah, parents didn't turn much, and uh, this whole period of transition it lasted for a long time. An organized crime was out there. I mean, yeah, yeah. 
I do remember something, but not much of it. But yeah, it was fun. It was it was different for sure. <laughs> fun, fun TM, and and that this is this is kind of because I don't know. I I think that in the Western Europe mostly, and in America too, and to an extent where they kind of get news about this, a lot of people view kind of EU as bureaucratic and evil. But if I have to say this, I I'd say that EU has brought a lot of good for our country. Yeah. Like I, I don't have to pay like my ten euros to a random traffic cop or, or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Although, although I don't, I don't have a driver's license, sadly. <laughs> this, by the way, will be fun for you. First time I, I wanted to get a driver's license, my skull was broken, and <laughs> two days later, oh second time I tried to get a driver's license, COVID started, and then I couldn't do my practice. So. Uh, You're just not meant to drive a car. Third time. <laughs> Third time I applied for my driving lessons to finally get the driver's license. Do you know what date it was? 24th? 23rd of February this year. 23rd. Oh my god. I'm afraid that if I apply next time, I don't know, a meteorite will strike Earth or something. Don't. Please, don't. Because it seems like you you in a car, you're just guys not meant to be. (laughs) Oh no, just don't. Probably won't, but like... This is also the fun part, because in a way... This whole conversation, because it reminded me of the fact that, you know, as I entered Odessa, yeah. they had replaced all their advertisement slogans on their posters and everything with political jokes. You know, Odessa jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and if the first thing that you see in Odessa is just after exiting the train, because, well, you can't fly there right now from Latvia, so I took the train. And the first thing you see is a joke stating that Rabinovich gets asked, is it true that Odessa is a multicultural city? And Rabinovich, of course, answers, quote, mm, Of course Odessa is a multicultural city. Spend five seconds here and you'll see Jews of every nationality. <laughs> Odessa is great. Also, everyone speaks Russian there all the time. It's probably one of the least uh, Ukrainian language cities ever, but yeah. that's the beauty of Ukraine, because Ukraine... In a way, to all the people who think that it's just some sort of, you know, ex ex Russia, ex everything, it is not. It has its own thing, and it's it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful, and uh, mm. if you haven't tried real Khorilka and everything, then you haven't lived really. One thing though is that I, I I sadly haven't visited Chernobyl, which is what I wanted to do. But last time I went to Ukraine, it was just after the series had came out. And it was super expensive because a lot of Instagram models went there to take sexy pictures in Pripyat, <laughs> which is so oh stupid. God. Yeah, I God. mean, seriously, and, and, and that was the war. So um, I'll guess I have to go there, go there later. Yeah, yeah, but, um, sure. I'm really thankful to you for, for showing that, you know, you guys don't lose, don't lose your, your, your spirit and everything. And yeah, yeah most important question. We're, we're going to end on this, sadly. Uh, you have to promise me that you'll come back at some point. I will. Once this war is over, we'll you, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to get you back and talk and talk, talk about all the suggestions. Done deal. The question is that a lot of like on Twitter, at least on Latvian one, mm-hmm. there's a lot of complaints that Latvian women will now have to try harder because there's a ton of Ukrainian women on Twitter. On oh, sorry, on Tinder. <laughs> on Tinder, yeah. Yeah. So so um, what advice would you give to uh, women? In countries where a lot of Ukrainian women live. I mean, you are half Ukrainian, so you don't face these problems. You can play this off. But, uh, <laughs> oh. but what advice would you give to, to ladies on Tinder who still seek their, their one true love? Because, you know what? You know, 
kind of didn't want to ask this question, but if we went on to do relationship, you know, relationship analogies here, I kind of have to. I kind of have yeah, to. Yeah, okay. <laughs> My own personal suggestion is for those ladies who are in Tinder, get out of the Tinder. <laughs> Just go and look for guys in real life. I think that's that's the best, the best thing that you can do. But um, I know that that people say that Ukrainian women are really beautiful, which of course they are, but I mean... And angry. Yes, they are. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, whenever you piss me off, I'm pretty much the same as that 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 lady that you said were, were screaming at you. I'm pretty much the same. But um, Latvian ladies are very beautiful. I feel like sometimes we as a Latvians, I, I, I consider myself as a Latvian too, we're not proud of ourselves. We're not proud of who we are and how do we look like. And we always try to find something, you know, like to complain about or be insecure about. But Ukrainians are more like Ukrainian women are just, you know, open with their hearts. And they're just like, whatever, if I like this man, I'm just going to go for him. So I feel like one thing that Latvian women can do is just to learn from Ukrainian women to kind of breathe in this bravery and shoot their first shot because Latvian ladies are more Northern. They're a bit cooler, colder, but I feel like if you want that guy, just go for him. Don't wait for him to figure out like that you like him somehow. Just, you know, go for it. Write him, like message him, talk to him, ask him out, be a bit more like Ukrainian women are. Well, thank you for this advice, Dan. It's it's amazing. Really nice having you on the show. Thank you, Donna. Thank you very much. It was really nice talking to you. Okay, and uh, thank you, dear listeners, for listening to this episode of The Eastern Border. And, of course, as always, check us out on Twitter at Eastern underscore Border. Please become our patrons if you consider that to be a nice endeavor. Just click the button next to our Twitter profile. We're weird about the situation. And, of course, donate to Ukrainian charities. ComebackAlive.ua is my favorite one. Please consider doing that. And as always, and happiness is mandatory. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border Show. If you have any questions or comments, go to our website, theeasternborder.lv, and leave a comment there. Or email us at theeasternborder at gmail.com. We'll be sure to answer. You can also follow us on social media and contact us there. If you enjoyed this episode, then leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about us. It really helps us grow the show. And remember, happiness is mandatory. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. 
Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.